Theology of the Body, number 2, general audience of September 12, 1979. Last Wednesday, we began the cycle of reflections on the response Christ the Lord gave to his interlocutors about the question of the unity and indissolubility of marriage. The Pharisee interlocutors, as we recall, appealed to the law of Moses. Christ, by contrast, appealed to the beginning by quoting the words of Genesis. The beginning in this case is what one of the first pages of Genesis speaks about. If we wish to analyze this reality, we must doubtless turn first of all to the text. In fact, the words of Christ spoke in the di- the words Christ spoke in the dialogue with the Pharisees, which Matthew 19 and Mark 10 point report to us, constitute a passage that in turn fits into a well-defined context without which they can neither be understood nor correctly interpreted. This context is given by the words, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator created them male and female? Matthew 19, verse 4, and refers to the so-called first account of the creation of man inserted in the cycle of the seven days of the creation of the world, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to the end, and chapter 2 verse through verse 4. By contrast, the, mo- the more immediate context of Christ's other words, taken from Genesis 2.24, is the so-called second account of the creation of man, Genesis chapter 2, verse 5 through 25, and indirectly also Genesis 3 as a whole. The second account of the creation of man forms a conceptual and stylistic unity with the description of original innocence, of man's happiness, and also of his first fall. Given the specificity of the content expressed by Christ's words taken from Genesis 2.24, one could also include in the context at least the first sentence of Genesis 4, which deals with the conception and birth of a human being from earthly parents. We intend to do so in the present analysis. First Account of the Creation of Man From the point of view of biblical criticism, one should immediately recall that the first account of the creation of man is more recent than the second. The origin of the latter lies much farther back in time. One defines this more ancient text as Yahwist because it uses the term Yahweh to name God. It is difficult not to be impressed by the fact that the image of God presented there has some rather prominent anthropomorphic features. Among other things, we read there, The Lord God formed man with the dust of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. Genesis 2, verse 7. In comparison with this description, the the first account, that is, the one considered chronologically more recent, is much more mature, both with regard to the image of God and in the formulation of the essential truths about man. This account stems from the priestly and Eloist tradition from the term Elohim, the term it uses to name God. Given that in the narrative, the creation of man as male and female, to which Jesus appeals in his answer according to Matthew 19, is placed in the rhythm of the seven days of the creation of the world, one could attribute to it, above all, a cosmological character. Man is created on earth together with the visible world. At the same time, however, the Creator orders him to subdue and rule the earth. Genesis 1, verse 28. 
he is therefore placed above the world. Although man is so strictly tied to the visible world, nevertheless, the biblical narrative does not speak of his likeness with the rest of creatures, but only with God. God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him. Genesis 1.27 In the cycle of the seven days of creation, a precise step-by-step progression is evident. Man, by contrast, is not created according to a natural succession, but the Creator seems to halt before calling him to existence, as if he entered back into himself to make a decision. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Genesis 1.27 The level of this first account of creation, even if it is chronologically later, has above all a theological character. An indication of this is above all the definition of man, based on his relationship with God, in the image of God he created him, which includes at the same time an affirmation of the absolute impossibility of reducing man to the world. Already in the light of the Bible's first sentences, man can neither be understood nor explained in his full depth with the categories taken from the world, that is, from the visible totality of bodies. Nevertheless, man too is a body. Genesis 1.27 establishes that this essential truth about man refers to the male as much as to the female. God created man in his image, male and female he created them. One must recognize that the first account is concise, free from any trace of subjectivism. It contains only the objective fact and defines the objective reality, both when it speaks about the creation of the human being, male and female, in the image of God, and when it adds a little later the words of the first blessing, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and rule. Genesis 1.28 The first account of of the creation of man, which, as we have observed, has a theological character, contains hidden within itself a powerful metaphysical content. One should not forget that precisely this text of Genesis has become the source of the deepest inspiration for the thinkers who have sought to understand being and existing. Perhaps only Exodus chapter 3 can be compared with this text. Despite some detailed and plastic expressions in this passage, man is defined in it primarily in the dimensions of being and existing. Essay. He is defined in a more metaphysical than physical way. To the mystery of his creation, in the image of God he created him, corresponds the perspective of procreation, be fruitful and multiply, of coming to be in the world and in time, of fieri, which is necessarily tied to the metaphysical situation of creation, of contingent being, contingence. Precisely in this metaphysical context of the description of Genesis 1, one must understand the entity of the good, that is, the aspect of value. In fact, this aspect returns in the rhythm of almost all the days of creation and reaches its high point after the creation of man. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Genesis 1.31 This is why one can say with certainty that the first chapter of Genesis has formed an incontrovertible point of reference and solid basis of a metaphysics 
and also for an anthropology and an ethics according to which ends at bonum convertuntur, being and good are convertible. Of course, all this has its own significance for theology as well, and above all for the theology of the body. At this point, we interrupt our considerations. In a week, we will occupy ourselves with the second creation account, that is, the one that, according to biblical scholars, is chronologically earlier. The expression, theology of the body, used just now, deserves a more exact explanation, but we leave it for another meeting. We must first try to enter more deeply into the passage of Genesis to which Christ appealed.